Seventh Horcrux by Emerald Ashes Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 5 Harry Potter versus Alistair Moody I paced my room at the Dursleys, wand spinning between my fingers. Dumbledore had warned me to stay inside for fear of Sirius Black, and I had reluctantly abided by his request. But the muggle world was exhausting, and, worse yet, incredibly boring. The Weasley's old owl thundered against my window, scratching the glass weakly. I scrambled toward it in a horribly undignified manner and swung open the window, causing the owl to fall into my room. He was probably dead. I shrugged and grabbed the message from his twitching claws. Hi, Harry. Has Hermione been on you about doing homework? She's completely mental. We've got a whole month left. Did you hear that the Cannons won their last game? It's the third time this season. Twins say it's a fluke, but I think they've really got a chance at the cup. I skimmed the rest of the letter. Apparently Ron's rat was eaten by a grim or something. See, this is why I miss the Wizarding World. When I leave, even Ron has adventures without me. I scowled, returning to the letter. Mum's been asking when you're going to visit. If you want, you could probably come for the rest of the summer. I didn't read the end of the letter. I was too busy packing. Harry! That was my only warning as I stepped from Mr. Weasley's car and was viciously attacked. I stood still and waited for Hermione to stop hugging me. Hello, Hermione, I said. Ron? Ginevra also peeked at us from the doorway, but since she was attempting to be discreet, I pretended not to see her. Hey, mate. Ron said. His mother bustled over, beaming. I think she wanted to hug me as well, but I'd already gotten my wand out. She kept her hands clasped atop her chest. Small of her, which made sense, since she was only a Weasley by marriage. Harry! Oh, it's so nice to finally meet you. I've been telling Ron to have you over for years. I didn't want to impose, I said. She smiled sweetly. No imposition at all. A loud ding echoed across the yard. With a harried look, the Weasley matriarch said, "'Now, lunch will be ready in a few minutes, so don't stay out here too long.' As she left, Ron turned to me. "'You didn't want to impose?' "'No, it seemed rude.' "'Mate, that doesn't sound like you at all. When have you ever cared about being rude?' I shrugged, tucking my wand back in my pocket, since the danger of Weasley affection had passed. I was under the impression you lived in a shoebox.' His Weasley mouth dropped open and stayed that way for some time. "'What?' "'That's what Malfoy said,' I said peevishly. "'He was just being an insulting kid like he always is,' Hermione said. I frowned and observed Ron with unshielded confusion. "'But if he was lying, why did you get so upset?' Ron went on sputtering for a while, waving his hands around as if to illustrate some incomprehensible point. I turned my attention to a thoughtful Hermione— which could only lead to trouble. She stared at the place where Mr. Weasley's car was parked. "'Why didn't you mention that your family were muggles?' "'Oh, I prefer not to talk about them. They're really quite insufferable,' I said. "'What do you mean?' Ron asked, finally recovered. "'They just are,' I shrugged. "'You'd understand if you met them,' Hermione said. "'Harry, if you were raised by muggles, then where do all of your biases come from?' "'I have legitimately no idea what you're talking about.' You have no respect for Hufflepuffs, and sometimes you just completely disregard muggles like they aren't even people. 
Hermione cocked her head, giving me a suspicious look. Your family is all right with you coming here, right? You didn't just decide they were unimportant and go off without telling anyone. I tried to cut in on her completely unwarranted paranoia. Hermione, she rambled on, because that really seems like something you would do. I huffed, insulted. I told them. And I'll have you know they were very happy to see me go. There was hugging and everything. She giggled. Oh, I wasn't involved, I said, hoping she wouldn't get any ideas. They also had a party. That sounds nice, Hermione said. I wouldn't know. It was after I left. Hermione seemed quite stunned and failed to respond. Since the conversation was clearly over at that point, I wandered inside in search of lunch. Now she insists I've been emotionally neglected, whatever that means. Ron nodded. Yeah, Molly could be kind of weird about stuff like that. It's like the house elves all over again, I grumbled. Except I'm the house elf, and she's trying to kill me with her deformed mittens. What is that? It's a metaphor, Ron. Don't strain yourself trying to make sense of it, I said. I paced the floor of Ron's room, bursting with agitated energy. Usually, when I felt like this, I would relieve my attention by destroying something. But magic was not permitted over the summers, and I refused to break things with my hands like a muggle. She'd probably forget about it if we got out of the house for a bit, Ron said. I stopped pacing. That seemed reasonable for a Weasley suggestion. As much as Hermione struggles to care about things that are traditionally immoral, a quick distraction usually causes her to lose interest. Ron continued, I bet even a couple days would do it. I'm listening. I woke up early the morning after the World Cup. No surprise, since I'd spent most of the previous day sleeping. Ron had been rather upset at Hermione's and my disinterest in the game, insisting upon waking me up every ten minutes and snatching Hermione's book from her hands. But he forgot our betrayal easily enough after the cup's climactic finish. At least I presume it was climactic. I slept through it. I left my invisibility cloak and the blankets crumpled on the couch as I wandered toward the tent's kitchen. The fridge was well stocked, but I never cared for cooking. Dobby, I snapped. The house elf arrived a few minutes later, looking nervous. Yes, great master Harry Potter, sir? You're late, I said. Dobby is sorry, so very sorry, he cried, slamming his limbs violently against the floor in what might charitably be referred to as a bow. Master Lucy came home very late, and he wanted me to fetch him pain potions. I did not want to be making him angry. Don't let him order you around so much, I ordered. Dobby nodded, ears flapping and eyes shining rebelliously. This is why I don't keep house elves. The risk of betrayal is far too great. I continued, Now, bring me whatever Lucius is having for breakfast. Ginevra stumbled upon me half an hour later, as I was polishing off some sort of giant egg set on a silver plate. Harry? she gasped, then shouted, He's right here! A stampede of Weasleys and a lone Hermione stumbled, bleary-eyed from their rooms. Hermione cried indignantly, Where have you been? We were worried sick! I frowned, confused and quite displeased with the feeling. It's not like I don't usually sleep under the cloak. Hermione's fists clenched, and she hissed, You weren't in your bed! If I was in my bed, then that would destroy the whole point of sleeping invisible, I said. She gave a little screech of frustration, while Mr. Weasley said, I'm glad you're safe. I suppose you couldn't find us during the attack. Attack? One of the Weasley twins spoke, voice filled with the appropriate amount of awe. You slept through a Death Eater attack? After a further ten minutes of failing to communicate, entirely the Weasley's fault, I found out that a group of Death Eaters had come to wreak havoc, torment muggles, and generally have a good time. I had slept through it, a skill I'd acquired during my reign of terror. 
It was nice, I reflected, to see the Death Eaters taking the initiative. Perhaps they were paying homage to their fallen leader. I don't know why else they would attack a Quidditch game. At the head table, Dumbledore began his start-of-term speech. First, he happily informed us that the Dementors had been removed due to our foreign visitors. Apparently, Beaubaton takes a dim view on the consumption of their students' souls. Then he turns to the topic of horrible deaths, as he does every year. I wasn't paying much attention, consumed by my thoughts. The Triwizard Tournament had finally returned to Hogwarts. It hadn't been around when I was a student, or I would have another trophy to add to my collection. In fact, it hadn't been around for two centuries. Trust Dumbledore to revive a dangerous, Gryffindorishly reckless competition. Still, it fit well in the narrative of Harry Potter, vanquisher of the Dark Lord and future Hogwarts professor. As we stood to leave the Great Hall, Ginevra at our heels, Ron snatched some sweets from the table. Hermione sighed dramatically. Do you need more sugar, Ronald? His words were mangled by a mouthful of food. I'm a crying boy! She wrinkled her nose. You don't need sugar to grow, you want a bacteria. And that's disgusting. You're disgusting! I'm going to win the Triwizard Tournament, I declared. What? Hermione shrieked, once again paying attention to me, as is only appropriate. Harry, that's even worse than your usual ideas. People die doing things like this. I shrugged. It can't be any more dangerous than going to school usually is. Ron frowned, jogging to keep pace with us, as I sped up with enthusiasm and Hermione with righteous anger. I don't know, Dumbledore thinks it's dangerous, and he hires werewolves as professors. I said, I still think I'll be fine. Well, you can't enter anyway, Hermione sniffed. It's seventh years and older, no exceptions. That doesn't seem very fair. Even if we start doing it regularly again, it isn't due for five more years. I'll have graduated by then. Then I'll never get the chance to compete. It's for your own safety, she said. The goblet wouldn't choose me if I couldn't compete. At least I didn't think it would. How did that work? But it can hardly judge if I don't put in my name. They'll put up protections to stop you, Hermione said with a desperate sort of hope. I'll get around them, I assured her. I'll have Harry, Ginevra said. Ah, oh, yes, I'd forgotten about you. We had reached the common room by then, going inside with a muttered, Flobberworm. The familiar red room, filled with chattering students, greeted us. I took the only available chair, earning an insolent glare from Hermione and, uh, hey, from Ron. Ginevra stood without complaint, which nearly made me regret my decision. I took a deep breath. Look, Ginevra, we have to talk about this, I waved my hand vaguely, following us thing. I didn't say anything before because we were at your house, and you should be able to stalk whomever you like at your house, but this is my house. It's a school, Harry, it's nobody's house. Hermione said, as she dug out her transfiguration book, intent upon reading it for the third time before term. I ignored her, of course. Now, I appreciate your stepping in last year. You made a perfectly suitable substitute for Ron, but Ron's back, and he has seniority. Ginevra pouted, asking, Why can't we both be your friends? I shook my head. We are already perilously close to a Weasley majority. I can't have the two of you stalemating. It's not like we're the same person, Ginevra said. I'm different from my brother's. See, now you sound exactly like Ron, I said. This just isn't going to work, right, Hermione? Hermione didn't even look up from her textbook. I don't have a problem with Ginny. Right. Ron? Yeah, he said, elaborating at his sister's betrayed look. Sorry, Ginny, but you're my little sister, and these are my friends. You should go spend time with your own friends. Ron paused for a moment. Uh, you do have friends, right? Ginevra frowned, but didn't answer. Several seconds passed. Ginny? Ron asked nervously. I'm thinking, she snapped. Hermione finished reading another twelve pages before Ginevra spoke again. 
Yes. Good, I said. Then go and spend time in their company, earn their trust, fashion their loyalty, and when the time is right, you're starting to sound like a Slytherin maid, Ron said. Right, yes. What I meant to say was, have fun. Also, leave. Professor Moody's magical eye had locked upon me the moment I entered the classroom, and it hadn't moved yet. He was suspicious of me, I could tell, and I forced my face to remain impassive as he explained the topic of today's lesson, the unforgivable curses. Still, I couldn't entirely quell my enthusiasm. They were my favorite curses, after all. So, do any of you know which curses are most heavily punished by wizarding law? Moody asked, narrowing his eyes at the class as if one of us was going to burst into tears and confess to a heinous crime. My hand shot up, followed tentatively by Hermione's. Moody barked, Go on, Granger. The Imperious Curse, Hermione said. It forces the victim to follow the caster's orders. Good, he said. Moody pulled out three cages, each holding a spider. He turned his wand upon one of them and forced it to dance. A few nervous giggles greeted its performance, though none of my classmates took their eyes from the arachnid. "'Think it's funny, do you?' Moody asked. "'You'd like it, would you, if I did it to you?' "'No, sir,' Longbottom squeaked, shaking his head so quickly that it seemed ready to fly from his shoulders. "'Good. That's the next lesson,' Moody laughed. "'Anyone else know one? Another illegal curse?' My hand returns to the air, but at least one of Moody's eyes looked to the back of the room. You, in the back! Now he was just toying with me. I should have expected as much from an old friend of Dumbledore. Longbottom said tentatively, The Cruciatus Kiss? Your name's Longbottom? Moody asked gruffly. Longbottom attempted to hide under his desk. This might have been more effective if Moody couldn't see through it. He enlarged the second spider, sparking terrified gasps from several students. A few slightly less terrified gasps came when he tortured it, using the Cruciatus. "'And the last one!' Unable to hold back any longer, I shouted, "'Avoda Kedavra, the killing curse, unless you kill things!' "'Yes, I suppose you would know about that,' Moody said, giving me an unsettling smile. He was on to me. He was on to me, and Dumbledore had already given him permission to cast unforgivables on students. Moody continued, "'You are the only survivor of that curse.' I laughed weakly. Yes, of course. I'm not sure why else I would know it. Not like this bloody snakes, Ron grumbled. I bet they've been casting them since they were in nappies. Moody smirked, gave a nod to Ron, and cast a Kedavra on the final spider. As my classmates breathed a collective sigh of relief at the arachnid's death, Moody's eye almost popped out of his head to watch me closer. I hoped my curse would strike early this year. I tilted my head examining the age line surrounding the Goblet of Fire. My sixty-eighth birthday was coming up, so it should let me through. Carefully, I nudged my foot against the line, feeling an ominous force pushing it back. Clearly it responded to physical and not mental age. Of course, the Weasleys had artificially aged themselves and been thrown back regardless. Perhaps it required both? Or possibly Dumbledore had enchanted it to only allow seventh years. Yes, I decided that seemed reasonable. It was probably for the best that I couldn't walk right through. That would raise all sorts of suspicions. Now, I would have to take a more subtle approach. Wingardium Leviosa, I said. The parchment on which I'd scribbled my name slowly levitated forward, yet started shivering as it crossed the age line. Not far from the goblet, it stopped altogether, crumpled into a ball, and ricocheted back. The ball bounced off my forehead, lip curled, I tossed the piece of parchment in the air and snarled, Ventus! 
It tumbled towards the goblet atop a spiral of wind, which knocked over several unsuspecting passers-by. It then returned at equal speed, again hitting my forehead. I was crouched on the stone floor, putting the last touches on my latest attempt to enter the tournament, when Ron and Hermione interrupted me an hour later. About time. We were lucky if you were all over. Hermione thought you were in the library. Ron made a face that was, for once, intentionally stupid. Harry spends plenty of time in the library, Hermione said. It's not my fault you like to pretend he's some sort of Quidditch fanatic. He's coming round, Ron said with an offended look. He practically begged me to organize a game last year, and he went to the cup with us. Two instances is hardly evidence of a trend, Ronald, Hermione said. Sure it isn't, Marnie. Ron faked a cough. Jealous. I'm not jealous, Hermione mumbled, and you'd never hate that nickname. Grinning, Ron turned his attention to me. What are you doing on the floor? Beating the age line, I said. I added another slash of ink into the stone. It was a little wobbly and looked more like a dragon than a unicorn, so I vanished it. Hermione leaned over to peek at my work. She gasped. Those are new level runes. You don't even take ancient runes. You aren't the only one who reads, Hermione, I said. She glanced triumphantly at Ron. I told you. So what's it do? Ron asked. Hermione cleared her throat. Well, I've only read about it in passing, mind you. It's a very complicated work, though not all that uncommon among curse-breakers who need to move something that they can't touch, or in cases where other means of magical transportation might damage an object. It makes extensive use of the Yeah, but what does it do? Hermione sniffed haughtily. I was getting to that. It's used for teleporting things. Don't know why he can't just say that, Ron muttered. I always have to go off on some— At last! I cried, rising from the ground. I've completed it! Oh, sure, Dumbledore protected against physical intrusion in simple spells, but he could never have prepared for something so intricate, so far above anything he would expect of a mere child. But I am more than that. I am Harry Potter, and I will not be thwarted by the likes of him. I smirked, dropping the ball of parchment atop the rune and laughing as it popped away. My eyes darted to the goblet. The parchment appeared directly above it, only millimeters from the top, but it didn't fall. It flew backward and onto my forehead. As it fell to the ground, my eye twitched. I hadn't expected such intense fury since the Dementor incident. I snatched up the crumpled parchment and blindly flung it at the goblet. It travelled uninterrupted as it passed the age line, bounced against the goblet's interior, and fell inside. Ron gaped. You can just throw it in? Of course, I said. They would never think to protect against the most base, mundane muggle methods. After all, who would stoop so low? I smirked, congratulating myself on my astounding success. Ron, bring me more paper. In fact, bring me all the paper you can find. Ink, too. Ron scurried off to do my bidding. Hermione, always questioning my decisions, asked, Why do you need paper? I have to put my name in more times, obviously, I said. She pursed her lips. No, you only need to put your name in once. Yes, that is what they would have you believe, I said. But I've contemplated this thoroughly. No one knows how the goblet works, or why it chooses the student it does. Oh, sure, sometimes it picks a great fighter with unmatched cunning, but others it picks someone whose name was put in as a joke or a hufflepuff. In retrospect, I was being redundant. So? Hermione asked. It's a lottery. Hermione rolled her eyes. That's ridiculous. No, believing that a big cup can choose the greatest champion based on a name on a slip of paper is ridiculous. What's it do? Analyze the handwriting? It's very advanced magic, Hermione said. Or it picks a name at random. Which do you think is more likely? 
Ron raced toward me, a stack of parchments in hand. Got him. I nodded. Good. Now get more. He took off again. I tore a strip of parchment off a sheet, scribbled my name, and shouted into Hermione's hands. Make use of your terrible muggle origins and start throwing. And from Bombaton, Fleur Delacour, Dumbledore said. A haughty witch in powder blue flounced toward the back room. Hermione shot me a triumphant look. See, both of the champions were their school's favorites to win, and they're each very talented. It's not a lottery. I laughed, admiring her pig-headed attachments to an obviously incorrect theory. That's probably because they were the only ones who entered. Are you sure? Hermione asked. I spent eight hours camped out next to the goblet yesterday, I'm pretty sure. Fine, Dumbledore said. For Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. A third slip of parchment shot into his hands atop a jet of green flame. Harry Potter! Told you, I said, standing to take a bow. A wave of disgruntled whispers echoed across the great hall. I don't know why any of them were surprised. Honestly, who were they expecting? A Hufflepuff? A Durmstrang student gasped. They can't actually let him compete. He's a fourth year. A seventh-year Hufflepuff sighed. It's always the bloody Gryffindors. He must have cheated, Draco Malfoy cried. Yeah, he cheated, one of the Weasley twins shouted. What did you think he was doing in the Great Hall yesterday, making paper airplanes or something? I smirked. I'm the best at cheating, or I wouldn't have been chosen by the goblet. That doesn't make any sense, a Bobeton student said. I ignored them, sauntering towards the door where the previous champions had exited. Suddenly, the goblet flared again, and the Dumbledore cleared his throat. It appears to be Harry Potter again, in different handwriting. Merlin's tit! Harry broke the cup! Ron yelled. I said, I hope it doesn't do that with all the entries. Dumbledore appeared troubled. My boy, just how many times did you put your name in? Oh, three hundred or so. A lot bounced off the rim, so it was difficult to keep track, I admitted. How the hell did you manage that? Someone shouted from the Slytherin table. It was a lot easier once I got the house elf production line going. I said. I never thought I would be so grateful for Hermione's literacy program. I didn't start that so they'd be better slaves, Hermione snapped. And yet that was still the result, I said. The harder she struggled against her naturally evil tendencies, the greater the eventual damage became. It was awe-inspiring, really. I left Hermione to her anger and followed the other champions. Twenty minutes later, we were still waiting in the same room. Delacour actively ignored me while Crumb's abortive attempts at conversation faltered before the shouting going on a few feet away. I watched in amusement as the judges squabbled over my entry. With her champion's fervent support, the Beaubaton mistress insisted that my competing against a fourteen-year-old wasn't very sporting. I personally had no problem beating children a third my age. The event organizer, Crouch, was similarly worried that Britain would be at a disadvantage. In contrast, Igor Karkaroff feared the overwhelming power implied by the night I vanquished myself— it was hard to say if that was a sign of his intelligence, cowardice, or paranoia, or perhaps he'd simply seen that Dumbledore was twinkling again. No, no, there is nothing to be done but let him compete, Dumbledore said. The goblet of fire is magically binding, and the boy was chosen by it. Twice, I added helpfully. We wouldn't want him to lose his magic or even his life because we were trying to protect him, he continued, smiling serenely. They couldn't argue with Dumbledore. No one ever can for long— so the judges begrudgingly agreed to let me compete, and stormed off to sunk elsewhere. Their champions soon followed. Lemon Drop, 
Dumbledore asked. I shook my head, unwilling to risk whatever concoction he'd devised to punish me for this latest scheme. No one ever wants my lemon drops, he sighed dramatically. Dumbledore popped a lemon drop in his mouth, winked at me, and left as well. Severus sneered at me from the corner of the room, sweeping forward only when everyone else had left. You really are exactly like your father, an arrogant, conceited, reckless fool with no regard for your own or others' safety. But even he would not have been so moronic as to enter a dangerous magical competition repeatedly. I gave him a lazy smile, bantering with Severus was such fun. Well, what can I say? I'm a typical Gryffindor, not a slimy Slytherin like you. Severus's eyes flashed with fury, and he leaned in so close that spittle flew at my face. Do you think this is a game, Potter? Technically it's a tournament, I said. Severus drew back, almost physically reining in his emotions. He was silent for several moments, his lip curled in disgust at what he was about to do. I think it's about time you were actually punished. Twenty points from Slytherin. My eyes widened. You can't do that. I'm not even in that house. Severus smiled cruelly, drawling. Five more for your cheek, as he walked away. I don't understand, Hermione asked as we made our way towards the common room. Why doesn't he just give you detention? I chuckled. Oh, we tried that back in first year. So long as he's there, I rather enjoy them. And if they're unsupervised, I try to brew Felix Felicius and leave him to clean up the resulting poisons. The detentions are inevitably more of a punishment for him than me. We passed through the portrait entrance. Inside, a party was in full swing. They had been planning this ever since the tournament was first announced, because the Hogwarts champion was obviously going to be a Gryffindor. A cheer erupted when the partiers spotted us, and someone shoved a butterbeer in my hand. I grinned, announcing, "'My plan has finally come to fruition. Snape has decided to take points from Slytherin every time I annoy him. We are going to sweep the cup for the next four years!' A second cheer went up, and a few people slapped me on the back. They soon turned their attention towards a keg of Weasley smuggled fire whiskey. As we jostled our way through the crowd, Hermione said, Harry, you aren't actually planning— Nope. So you've just suddenly stopped rooting for Slytherin. I came to a very important realization today, I said. It doesn't matter what color the Great Hall is during the leaving feast, or who gets bragging rights for the next year. What matters is that I am the one who decides. There is something seriously wrong with you. Hermione murmured. Thank you, I said. Speaking of something seriously wrong, there's Ron. Ron sat in a bright red armchair, an island of misery among the jovial crowd. He stared morosely at the contents of a textbook. Something was obviously amiss. Ron doesn't read. Ron? Hermione said softly. Are you all right? Ron shrugged, muttering, Yeah, I just, well, I was hoping it would be me. I plucked the book from his lap before he became confused and tried to eat it or something. You had your twelve chances, Ron. It's no one's fault that the goblet chose me in its lottery, except possibly Dumbledore. You can't blame Dumbledore for all your problems, Harry, Hermione sighed. I shook my head. This is different. I am blaming him for Ron's problems. Hundreds of owls swooped into the great hall, a mid-air ocean of wings and letters, a few appreciative murmurs sounded from the Ravenclaw and Slytherin tables, where our foreign guests had sat down for breakfast. Most of the Hogwarts students barely noticed their descent, well used to the daily spectacle. A small, tawny owl landed in front of Hermione and held out the latest edition of the Prophet in a delicate claw, 
Hermione handed it a canut. The creature hooted approvingly, but continued to loiter, eyeing our plates. I turned to Ron and explained, "'It wants your bacon.' "'It's my bacon,' he said mutelessly. "'There's a whole plate right over there. Why doesn't it take some from that?' "'It probably enjoys eating it from your hand. Or maybe it just likes stealing,' I said. He glared at the bird, which merely ruffled its feathers in response. I added, "'I don't know why you're making such a big deal of this.' Ron turned his glare on me. "'Why don't you ever give up your bacon?' "'Don't blame your selfishness on me,' I said. "'Just give it the bacon, Ronald,' Hermione said absent-mindedly, as she opened up her newspaper. Scowling, Ron gave up the bacon. When he reached out to grab more from the central platter, it disappeared. Sometimes I love this castle. "'Anything interesting in the news today?' I asked. "'You really should get a subscription of your own,' Hermione sniffed. "'Everyone knows the Daily Prophet is full of rubbish.' "'It's very important to keep informed,' she said. I shrugged. "'I have people for that.' Hermione raised an eyebrow. "'You mean me?' "'Well, yes, mostly you at the moment,' I admitted. "'Back when I was a Dark Lord, I used to have a whole group of Death Eaters performing that task. I also had a group that dealt with public relations. My decision to put Bellatrix in the latter group probably explains why I was considered a Dark Lord and not a slightly overzealous politician.' Hermione's hands clenched the paper as her eyes darted from side to side. Suddenly she slammed it against the table and hissed, "'This is complete rubbish!' "'Yes, I just told you that,' I said. "'No, not the whole paper, just this article. It's about you, and it's just so completely outlandish that I don't even know where to begin in refuting it. I—here!' She shouted at me, and I began to read. "'Boy Who Lived, Rescues Reporter from Sirius Black, by Rita Skeeter.' After thirteen years of silence, the boy who lived has re-entered the public sphere with a bang. Only fourteen years old, young Harry Potter is determined to win the Triwizard Tournament for Hogwarts. I had the privilege of sitting down with him yesterday for an exclusive interview. Though three years younger than the other champions described in detail on page three, Harry has no lack of confidence, or it seems, skill. "'Oh, I'm definitely winning,' he told me with a charming grin. "'I wouldn't have entered otherwise.' I have extensive experience with these sorts of things. I have successfully fought a deranged DADA professor, lured Hagrid's monster out of its hiding place, and even faced a werewolf. I know well over two hundred spells, and I'm a ruined prodigy. Any of this reporter's doubts were erased, as the boy who lived demonstrated several spells she remembers from her DADA newt. You sound like a young Lockhart, I commented. At this, Harry's eyes filled with tears. We can all hope to be as amazing as Lockhart. Soon, our conversation turns to Harry's unusual entrance into the tournament. You see, dear readers, Harry never should have been allowed to enter at all, but the protections set by Albus Dumbledore were no match for youthful ingenuity. Oh, he tried to keep me out. The boy laughed mischievously and refused to say any more, only adding, I'm a very typical Gryffindor, you know. The hat didn't even consider any place else for me, not for a single moment. I was fortunate enough to see Harry's boasted skills in action when a great beast suddenly leapt from the grass, landing upon the boy and pinning him to the floor, enormous fangs poised to rip at his throat. But Harry blasted the monstrous creature away with a powerful spell. The beast landed hard against the grass, suddenly transforming into none other than Sirius Black. At first, panic shone in Harry's green eyes, understandable since I, Rita Skeeter, nearly fainted upon Black's arrival. Within moments, however, Harry's face turned resolute, and a rainbow of hexes and jinxes flew at the startled convict. Black fled, unable to cast a single spell. 
For more information on the battle between the you-know-who's right-hand man and the boy who lived, please turn to page two. While this reporter has no doubt in the abilities of Harry Potter, my wiser readers must wonder about Albus Dumbledore. Why was Sirius Black able to sneak into Hogwarts three times under Dumbledore's watch? How did a student, no matter his talent, outwit the old man's defences? How did he allow Hagrid, a half-giant with a felonious past, to spend fifty years working in the halls he once terrorised, resulting in the death of Gilderoy Lockhart? Can we trust him with our children? I looked up in confusion at Hermione, who was busy stabbing a piece of omelette with her fork. I should emphasise the use of the word stab in this sentence. There was a dent left in the plate. I don't understand why you're so upset. It's all true. Hermione raised an eyebrow. You were attacked by Sirius Black? Yes, I said. And you didn't tell anyone? I'm not sure why I would bother. It's not like he came back or anything, I said. And frankly, I found him far less powerful than everyone seems to imply. That's probably because he doesn't have a wand, Ron said. And so long as he doesn't steal one from someone incompetent, we'll all be safe. I glanced down the table at Longbottom. It would only be prudent to steal his wand before someone else did. You should have at least told a teacher, Hermione muttered. She snatched back the paper, skimming it. Two hundred spells? I shrugged. I could show you them, but most require a live target. She frowned deeper. The hats didn't consider putting you anywhere but Gryffindor. All right, I know that one's a lie. No, it isn't, I said. You were under for five minutes. It wanted to talk to me. I'm very famous, you know, I said, raising my chin haughtily. Mate, you're starting to sound like a Slytherin again. Ron advised. I lowered my chin and tried to look very Gryffindor by waving my arms about like an idiot. Okay, fine, it didn't know where to put me, because I so perfectly encapsulated the values of all four houses. I was very cunning, astoundingly brave, and the most intelligent person he'd ever sorted. Ron said, You didn't mention loyalty. Oh, right, he also thought that I would fit well in Hufflepuff, since I would look even more impressive when surrounded by their bumbling. I refused that placement outright, of course. I don't believe you. Hermione said. This is exactly the sort of honesty that makes Gryffindors so easy to manipulate. Their obsession with feelings and relationships were also helpful on that front. You're my best friend, Hermione. Would I lie to my best friend? She rolled her eyes, though an amused smile pulled at her lips, and Ron yelled, I thought I was your best friend! I ignored him. Come to think of it, Skeeter did lie about one thing. She claimed that I cried over Lockhart. That's completely ludicrous, and I resent her attempts to sabotage my place in the tournament by making me seem weak. Crying when someone dies doesn't make you weak, Hermione said, looking troubled. It just makes you human. Yes, and I think we've all established that I'm better than that, I said. Somehow that led to another lecture on emotional neglect. I stormed towards the castle, Hermione and Ron at my heels like proper minions. This is so unfair. How could I possibly have the worst score? I'm the only one who killed his dragon. You weren't supposed to kill the dragon, Harry, Hermione said. I waved my hand dismissively. That wasn't in the rules. The judges should all be sacked. They're clearly biased, except for Dumbledore, but he's supposed to be biased for me. So we should get rid of him as well. You broke all the eggs, too, Ron said. That also wasn't in the rules, and that was the dragon's fault. It was her body that crushed them. Hermione pinched the stem of her nose. Clearly, murdering an endangered species isn't a good enough reason to dog points. 
"'Not when they put one between me and eternal glory,' I said. "'You were invisible the whole time,' Hermione cried. "'That's hardly glorious, and it didn't do a very good job of entertaining the crowd.' "'That's what the explosions were for,' I insisted. "'They were pretty cool,' Ron said, earning a smack on the arm from Hermione. I said, "'Exactly. If I wasn't trying to be impressive, I would have banished it or something.' Ron asked, "'You can do that?' "'Yes, it's very simple.' I said dismissively. If I'd realized dragon-slaying was suddenly frowned upon, I would have just sent it home. Meanwhile, at Privet Drive. A chill raced down Petunia Dursley's spine. She felt oddly certain that she had only narrowly avoided horrible disaster. It was, she decided, probably Harry's fault. Hermione stalked down the hall. The metaphorical storm cloud above her head nearly made reality as the air crackled with electricity from her accidental magic. Sparks attacked our surrounding classmates. A tiny lightning bolt leapt three feet and stung my hand, although, considering Hermione's magical prowess and fury towards me at that moment, that one might have been intentional magic. Hermione entered Myrtle's loo, growling when I didn't hesitate to follow. She then whirled around, wand out, and glared at me. I should have known it was a trap. No one ever visits Myrtle. Hermione snapped. Stop following me, Harry. Not until you tell me who's taking you to the Yule Ball, I said. What does it even matter? She cried. I sighed heavily. You know I hate it when other people keep secrets. She rolled her eyes and lowered her wand. You'll find out in a few weeks, like everyone else. But to my best friend. If I don't know your secrets, I'm already failing. Hermione simply stared at me, refusing to back down. Now it was my turn to become exasperated. I asked, Who could possibly be so terrible that you wouldn't even tell us about him? He isn't terrible! Obviously you wouldn't think that. He's taking you to a ball. But you clearly think we'll disapprove. My eyes widened in retaliation. It's Malfoy, isn't it? She gaped in unrestrained shock at being found out. What? Yes, yes, it all makes sense now, I muttered. The clear tension between you two, Ron's bizarre hatred of Malfoy, your incorrigible flirting last year. He called me a mudblood and I hit him, she said, enunciating each word as if I was an idiot. I nodded. Yes, exactly. Well, I suppose you could do worse. He's rich. It's not like he's a Hufflepuff or anything. I am not dating Draco Malfoy, I chuckled. Now, now, there's no need to be coy. This illicit romance is almost inspiring. Victor Crumb, she said. What? I'm going to the ball with Victor Crumb, Hermione frowned. We weren't going to tell anyone because his fans can get very possessive. Besides, you and Ron were being such gits about her that I just didn't want to. The downstrang champion? I said. And seeker for the Bulgarian national Quidditch team? She said with a touch of pride. I laughed as I finally understood Hermione's earlier hesitance to admit her date. Oh, I see. How very Grindelwald of you. She pouted no doubt displeased that I'd caught on so quickly. What do you mean? Don't play dumb, Hermione. I know you've read everything. I have no idea what you're talking about, she said. I smirked. Seducing foreign wizards to steal their dark magic, of course. I'm not doing that, she said, draping herself with moral outrage as if it were a fur coat. You're seriously trying to tell me that you just accidentally started dating the champion of Durmstrang, a school renowned for its dark arts, I said. Yes, Hermione sniffed and tilted her chin up arrogantly. He's very sweet, and he asked me to the Yule Ball for your information. 
It seemed that I had overestimated Hermione. I had thought her the cunning, ruthless witch that we all knew she would one day become, but she was still only fourteen, and naive in some matters. I almost felt bad having to kill what little remained of her innocence. I hate to tell you this, but he's just using you to steal Hogwarts's secrets. Hermione glared at me, her wand once again raised. Excuse me! I don't know why else you would be dating the fourth-year bookworm. I'm not sure what hex she threw at me then, but by the time I'd deflected it, Hermione had left the girl's loo. I wrote our latest Persians essay, relying solely on my previous knowledge. I could have used a book, but Snape would just give me a tea anyway. He always did. Beside me, Ron sprawled on the couch. His head rested against the stuffed back, and he stared listlessly at the ceiling. "'You want to play chess?' "'No,' I said. "'You're just sore because I beat you back in first year.' "'We've been over this. I let you win,' I said coolly. Ron snorted. "'Right, sure. Why don't you beat me now, then? It would be too easy.' "'Yeah, easy for me,' he muttered. I ignored Ron's continued insolence. The Gryffindor common room was crowded tonight, primarily with Weasleys. Ginevra had nabbed a place by the fire and was comforting an upset Longbottom, while the twins had gathered a new crowd of curious onlookers, no doubt soon to be guinea pigs. Hermione was in the corner, halfway through an arithmetic assignment. She nibbled her quill thoughtfully. She occasionally glanced in our direction, but made no move to approach us. Apparently I had hurt her feelings or something. Ron was similarly shunned for his continued insistence that Hermione's date was imaginary. I smirked a bit at his clueless insensitivity. Ron truly was an idiot. But such cheerful thoughts didn't last long as I finished my essay and found myself with no one to discuss it with. Ron glanced over hopefully. Jess? I missed Hermione. The thought was somewhat disturbing. I had never hesitated to dispose of an unruly minion before, and Hermione didn't even know any dark magic, but it seemed that I had become used to her presence. There was only one way to deal with the situation— it would be uncomfortable, but I had spent several years suffering Bellatrix's affections. I could survive this. I stood, walked across the room, and spoke to the startled girl in front of me. "'Ginevra, it seems that I am once again in need of your services,' I said. She beamed. "'Really?' "'Temporarily, of course,' I clarified. "'We find ourselves lacking a substitute Hermione. I presume you read?' Her silly grin still in place, Ginevra raised her eyebrows, but did not deign to answer further. It seemed that she was already getting into character. I said, "'Good. You'll need to do more of it. I expect you to finish the school library as soon as possible.' "'All right,' Ginevra said. I nodded approvingly. "'Come along.' As she followed me, Ginevra said to Longbottom, "'I'm sure you'll find your wand someplace, Neville.' Ron didn't even look up at our arrival, instead staring morosely at his chessboard. "'Play chess with him.' I ordered. Ron scowled, grumbling. What's she doing here? I'm in a Hermione, she never chirped. I don't want no Hermione, Ron said. I rolled my eyes. Well, it's not like I'm going to help you with your homework. Ginevra Weasley was no Hermione Granger. Oh, she did her best, practically living in the library and dragging Ron and often Longbottom with her. Yet she lacked that terrifying, unswerving focus that was so quintessentially Hermione. Ron's head thumped down on the library table. I just don't get it. This DADA essay is bloody impossible. I'm a year younger than you, and I'm doing all right, Ginevra said. I'm confused, Longbottom said. Why is Moody teaching the same class to everybody? I mean, it's tough enough for us. The first years must be really confused. Ginevra laughed, ignoring her barely begun essay. 
Well, yeah, you've got to admit they'll be the coolest kids ever. I mean, they're only eleven and already learning how to... Her voice grew gruff in imitation of the XOR or identify their enemies and maintain constant vigilance. I don't know why he's always on about that, Ron said. The war's been over for ten years now. Moody's even more paranoid than Harry. I like it. It's funny, Ginevra chirped. Ron shrugged. I guess. I just can't believe you showed us the the Unforgivables, Longbottom shivered, glancing around anxiously, as if the very name would get him thrown in Azkaban. That was probably a bad idea, Ginevra said, especially with what happened in Ravenclaw last week. Huh? Ron said. Longbottom looked similarly confused as he often does. Ginevra's eyes widened. You seriously didn't hear? Everyone in Ravenclaw was talking about it. Why would I talk to Ravenclaws? Ron asked. Aren't they in your classes and stuff? Yeah, so? Well, anyway, they were playing a game of truth or dare, she clarified in response to the boys' baffled faces. It's some muggle thing, but the important part is that they started using the Imperius to make people do the dares. Yikes, Longbottom muttered. People are saying Moody might even be fired over it, Ginevra said. I certainly hope so, I declared. Ron's face turned white. Ginevra jumped up from her seat, and Longbottom's chair fell backward as he let out a strangled squeak. Harry? Ginevra asked. Yes, I said. Ron's face slowly returns to its usual colour. Why are you under the cloak again? I think Moody is trying to kill me, I said. He'd suggested I use a broomstick in the first task, like anyone could outfly a dragon, let alone me. Further, he was always skulking about, watching. Okay, Ron said slowly, casting a doubtful glance in my general direction. Ginevra beamed. Let me know if he tries anything, and I'll help. I nodded, realized they couldn't see me, and then realized that I didn't actually care. Ginevra peered at the fallen Longbottom and asked, Are you all right, Neville? I, I think so. He scrambled up to his feet, swaying a bit. Got any injuries, Longbottom? A gruff voice barked from across the room. Uh, no, sir, Longbottom stuttered. Good. Moody's eyes turned to the place where I sat under my invisibility cloak. He faints, you get him to Pomfrey Potter. Dear Merlin, he could see through the cloak. I groaned, shoving away Longbottom's textbook so that I could slump against the newly opened table space. Ron flinched. Do you always have to do that when you're invisible? Ron, stop complaining. I don't need your negativity further sullying this already horrible year. Your year's been bad? Ginevra asked. I pulled off the now useless cloak. Absolutely terrible. Oh, I thought for sure it would be great to enter the trial as a tournament— but it's brought nothing but trouble. The judges are all unfair. Hermione has sold our secrets to Darmstrang. Moody is trying to kill me. Ron can't get a date to the Yule Ball because he's a werewolf. I'm not a werewolf, Ron growled. Denial is unattractive, Ron, I said. If you would just admit it, at least it could nab one of the creature lovers. I'm not going to pretend to be a werewolf to get a girlfriend, Ron said. Ginevra grinned mischievously and said, I know someone who needs a date to the ball. After the requisite champion's dance, I retreated to a more strategic position, a table by the door. There, no one could accidentally drop a love potion in my drink. I still had to guard it against Ginevra, but that was a definite improvement over the last bowl I'd attended. While I hardly cared for these things, Ron was downright miserable. "'I can't believe you set me up with loony lovegood,' Ron groaned. Ginevra elbowed him. "'It's not like you were going with anyone else, and she's right there, so you shouldn't say things like that. She's love good, she won't notice, Ron said. She's not deaf, Ginevra snapped. She's just uh, Luna. Luna, 
a humming girl in a tentacled dress and butterbeer cork necklace, seemed quite enraptured by the ceiling. I followed her gaze and then squinted my eyes to look for invisible attackers. Perhaps the Death Eaters had managed to successfully take the initiative twice in one year. I was ready to draw my wand and start casting when I was startled by a sudden movement behind me. I turned around to find Hermione settling at the table with us, the Durmstrang champion standing awkwardly behind her chair. She said, "'Hi, Harry.' "'Good to have you back with us,' I said, glancing towards Luna, who had turned her attention to the dance floor. Ginevra said, "'I'm confused. Aren't you guys not speaking?' Hermione primly set a napkin in her lap as Crumb sat in the chair beside her. "'Yes, well, I was going to wait until Harry apologized, but then I realized that he would never actually do that, so I've just given up.' I patted her hand and graciously said, "'Apology accepted, Hermione,' she rolled her eyes. "'Well, thank Merlin for that.' I turned to Ginevra. "'It appears that we no longer need your help. You may go.' "'But I'm your date!' she cried. I paused for a moment. "'Hm, you do have a point. I suppose you can stay for the evening, then, but no longer than that.' "'How did you two end up going together, anyway?' Hermione asked. "'You aren't exactly close.' "'She was the only one who asked me, if you can believe that.' I shook my head at my bad luck. Hermione just seemed perplexed. Harry, you do realize that you were supposed to ask a girl out, right? That makes absolutely no sense. I'm clearly the desirable one. Why should I have to demean myself? Luna hummed quite loudly and murmured, Anargles are everywhere tonight. Too many mistletoes, I suppose. I asked, Nargles? Strange little creatures, she told me. Invisible, and always taking things that don't belong to them. They're quite rude, come to think of it. Invisible, easily harvested, and capable of carrying human items. I leaned forward eagerly. Can they be weaponized? I don't think so. They don't listen very well to instructions. I was thinking more the imperious, although I suppose that wouldn't occur to most thirteen-year-old girls. Not everyone is Hermione. Hermione herself looked quite flustered. I don't think I've ever heard of those before. Have you, Victor? "'That don't exist!' Ron interrupted. "'Luna's crazy!' "'Luna isn't crazy!' Ginevra exclaimed. I set a hand upon her shoulder. "'Oh, she's definitely crazy, but that doesn't mean we should respect her any less. She is the third type of Ravenclaw, after all.' Third type of Ravenclaw? What is that?' Crumb asked. "'You see, each of the Hogwarts houses has three main personality types. In Ravenclaw there were the clever students, the ones who want to appear clever, and those who have stared too deeply into the heart of magic and gone mad because of it, like Professor Trelawney or Ravenclaw herself. "'You can't seriously be saying that she's some sort of magical oracle,' Hermione said. "'Oh, as I am. Tell me, Luna, what does magic truly look like?' "'Very blue,' she told me. I nodded. "'Fascinating.' "'So what about the other houses, then?' Ron asked. The Hufflepuffs are made up of those students whose only talent is being hard-working, those who have absolutely no talent and end up there by default, and those who surround themselves with Hufflepuffs to look better in comparison, like Hufflepuff herself. Then there are the Slytherins, the first two groups of purebloods with no redeeming qualities, and half-bloods who wish they were purebloods and otherwise have no redeeming qualities. The third type is made up of children who are raised in the Muggle world and like snakes and don't know any better. So then they have to claw their way up to the top but no one is really their friend because they are terrifying. I was breathing rather heavily at that point, and Crumb seemed unsettled. Like Slytherin himself? Ron said. No, Ron, that would be stupid. Slytherin was obviously a Ravenclaw, I said. I have no clue where he gets these ideas. 
You did not mention the Gryffindors, Crumb pointed out. Oh, I know this one, Ginevra squealed. The Gryffindors are stupidly brave people, people who just like showing off, and the secretly evil students whom no one will ever suspect because they're Gryffindors. Like Sirius Black, Ron guessed. I nodded vigorously. Yes, that's right, Ron. In fact, he's probably the only example, but Sirius Black is heinous enough to deserve a category all his own. Everyone knows that Gryffindors are instinctively good. Isn't that right, Hermione? She didn't agree with me, choosing instead to bury her face in her hands. Victor Crumb chuckled. Your friends are very strange, yes? Hermione took Victor by the arm to lead him to the dance floor, and presumably far away from us. You have absolutely no idea. It was breakfast time, but Hermione wasn't eating. She held my golden egg in her hands, staring down at it with pinched lips. I can't believe it is ignoring this. I mean, really, Harry, this is a very dangerous competition. You can't just throw away opportunities to prepare yourself. I don't need the help, and I've always despised riddles, I said. It probably isn't even that hard, Hermione cried. I could solve it for you, and Victor's already figured it out. I could ask him. No, Hermione, that would be cheating. You cheat all the time. Hermione said. That's true, I admitted, but I cheat in ways that require skill and dedication. Asking a competitor is just pathetic. It's not like he's a Slytherin or anything. Ron glared at the green table, as he often does. I could tell that Hermione hadn't entirely given up by the way she frowned down at the egg, not even noticing when Ron stole her biscuit. She absentmindedly paid an owl for the day's profit, and the owl stole Ron's newly acquired biscuit. Ron was shouting at it when one of our classmates, Lavender Brown, leaned over. "'I hate to be the bearer of bad news,' the blonde crooned in a way that said quite the opposite. "'But you might want to read that paper.' Startled, Hermione opened it and let out an indignant squeak. "'What is wrong with that Skeeter woman?' "'What'd she do?' Ron asked. "'She wrote about me, and she's talking like I'm some sort of—' Hermione wrinkled her nose. "'Seductress.' She cleared her throat, quoting— the rather plain girl has been working her way through Hogwarts's most eligible bachelors. First, she led on likely Triwizard Tournament winner Harry Potter. Then she had an infamous tryst with Draco Malfoy. Ron choked on his mouthful of food. Now she's moved on to 17-year-old Bulgarian national Quidditch team seeker Victor Crumb. With two Triwizard competitors under Miss Granger's thumb, this reporter has to ask, could a certain Vila be the next champion charmed? But that! Hermione's fingers were white as she clutched the golden egg. I won't let her get away with this! With a fervent gleam in her eye, Hermione stormed from the hall, not even noticing that she still held my prize from the first task. I almost felt sorry for Skeeter. She had no idea who she'd trifled with when she revealed Hermione's latest scheme. You're right, mate, Ron asked, nervously peering into the black depths of the lake as we waited for the second task to begin. Absolutely fine, I declared. You can be, um, underwater without dying? I'm Harry Potter, I said flatly, and you're starting to sound like Hermione. Ron shuddered at the comparison. Right, sorry, mate. It's just that I've heard drowning really sucks, and Hermione is whatever she is. Hermione had disappeared, no doubt busy plotting against her newest enemy. There hadn't been time to find a substitute, so it seemed that Ron was attempting to fulfill both roles. This would have been admirable if he wasn't failing so spectacularly. I surveyed the area. Spectators milled about the lake, sometimes poking a foot in, only to hastily withdraw it once they felt the frigid water. The Weasley children had consumed a large portion of the stands, as per usual, and Ron headed towards them. Moody was stalking about, 
glaring at everyone who looked slightly suspicious. The list included Karkaroff, Severus, and me. Draco Malfoy practically fell into the lake in an attempt to avoid him. The boy had been surprisingly timid since his return from Christmas break. Clearly his confidence was shaken by Hermione's rejection. The current object of her affections waved me over from his place at the starting line. Crumb asked, "'Do you know where Hermione is?' I shrugged. "'Probably in the library, plotting against Skeeter. It's the sort of thing she does.' Crumb nodded, chuckling. "'You did not find the clue!' "'I didn't need to,' I said. "'It's just Walter.' One of the judges, a pompous ministry worker whose name I hadn't bothered learning, cleared his throat. "'Everyone is ready to start, then!' Crumb nodded, but Della and I merely shot the judge disdainful looks. The judge looked nervous. All right, the second task will start on my whistle. The champions have precisely an hour to recover what's been taken from them. The task begins in three, two, one. He blew a whistle, and I immediately whirled around to face Della I shouted, Silencio! She was sputtering soundlessly when I left. It was possible she would manage to overpower my spell and regain her voice, provided she knew the counter-charm, but Beaubaton had a poor reputation for non-verbal magic, and a slight delay would give me a head start in the race. I jumped over the lake, carting the abublio drinks at my chest. A large bubble of air surrounded me as I sunk into the lake. I cast the aqua eructo charm, causing a jet of water to shoot from my wand. This propelled me forward deep into the water and towards the merpeople's song. I continued like that for some time. The abublio bubble protected me from the freezing lake water and various nuisances such as Grindylows. As time passed, however, it grew thinner and more fragile. Eventually I realized that I was being followed. A glance backward revealed an enormous shark coming after me. It was clearly charmed to attack competitors. A severing charm sent it hurtling toward the bottom of the lake, clouds of red floating in its wake. Not long afterward, I encountered the first roughly-hewn, dilapidated homes of the Merpeople village. The hideous creatures peered out at me from their glassless windows, their grey-skinned faces framed by seaweed-like hair. I never tried to recruit the mermen in my previous life, primarily because they creeped me out. In the town square, a whole crowd of them were gathered. They continued to sing, yellow eyes watching as I ended the abublio bubble and replaced it with a bubblehead charm. A great stone statue of a merman towered at their centre, three girls tied to his tail, Hermione, Ginevra, and a young blonde. I paused before them, considering the situation. Clearly there was one hostage for each competitor, but who was mine? If I had to choose one to save, it would undoubtedly be Hermione, yet she had gone to the Yule Ball with Crumb, just as Ginevra had with me. The hostage wasn't based upon one's Yule date, however— because I was fairly certain that Delacour had not gone with the little girl. Beyond that, it was entirely possible I had interacted with the child before and simply didn't remember. I refused to lose points for rescuing the wrong person. Hermione or Ginevra were both perfectly reasonable options, and the little girl wasn't out of the question at all. At that point, it was just easier to take them all. I threw a blasting curse at the base of the statue's tail. Suddenly, the mer people stopped singing. They raised their spears and approached me. I was surrounded. Well, that does explain Mr. Crumb's unfortunate injury, and your decision to take all three hostages, destroying a merperson relic in the process. I'm afraid I still don't understand what you did afterwards, Dumbledore said, looking very tired. 
This was a small improvement over the rest of the judges, who appeared livid. It was a perfectly logical decision, I insisted. The mermen were using their environmental advantage against me, so I took it from them. You banished all the water in the lake. You truly don't consider that excessive, Dumbledore asked. Not at all. Besides, I figured the spectators would have a better time if they could actually watch the task. Really, I was doing you all a favor. Dumbledore said, But the people are unable to survive on air for more than a few minutes. You greatly endangered their lives, my boy. I raised an eyebrow. They greatly endangered mine first when they attacked me with spears. Really, a few less mermen is hardly a problem. They kill more students than the moving staircase. And we all know what I did to the moving staircase. The denizens of Hogwarts simultaneously shivered, though the foreigners seemed rather perplexed. Karkaroff scowled. Victor Crumb also had gills at the time, and he was already injured by your attack. And my fur was fifty feet in the air when the water disappeared, Madame Maxime said. And that is after the honorable boy cast his silencing spell on her. There weren't any rules saying I couldn't attack the competition. Honestly, I thought that was the entire point, I said. It was a race, not a duel, Karkaroff said. Yes, exactly, and I won, I said. In fact, I'm the only one who brought his hostage back at all, whichever one she was. Ginevra Weasley, Dumbledore said. I shook my head, dismayed by their ridiculous expectations. How was I supposed to guess that? We aren't even friends. Some distance across the grounds, a still-dripping Ginevra said, We will be! I shivered. This was beginning to remind me uncomfortably of the Bellatrix situation. And I'm not sure why you think it's my responsibility to protect everyone. It's your competition. You should have expected I would do something like this, Moody grunted. That's why I put up the splash guard. See, why can't you all be like Moody? I asked. We all turned our attention towards the ex-Auror, who was currently shimmering with no less than twenty protective charms. Dumbledore sighed. Could you return the lake water? Know that the task is over. I would do that, I said, except that I'm not entirely sure where I sent it. Meanwhile, at Privet Drive, Petunia Dursley stood knee-deep in the flooded street, staring blankly at what was once her house. The front door had floated to the very end of her waterlogged lawn. Every window was broken, and what little she could see of her immaculate carpets and organized kitchen was entirely ruined. She didn't dare to think of what had happened to the garden. As she picked up a floating photograph of baby Dudley, Petunia wondered, for a moment, where her life had gone so wrong. But the answer was obvious. The moment she accepted Harry Potter into her life, this was all his fault. Things usually were. With a firm set to her mouth and her spindly fingers curled into a fist, Petunia trudged towards her home in the hope that some of her previous life was still salvageable. They were, she decided, moving. "'Holy harpies, have you seen this?' Ginevra Weasley cried, ruining a perfectly peaceful breakfast. Ron's head jerked up, and he asked, "'Mera, was it?' "'You're talking with your mouth full again, Ronald,' Hermione chided. She hadn't even stirred at Ginevra's exclamation, idly reading a book on charms. Ginevra waved the morning prophet at us so that it rustled a bit. "'They printed a retraction. I didn't even know they could do that.' It must have been a grievous error to prompt them to admit a mistake. They've probably offended hundreds of wizards, or perhaps a truly powerful group, I said thoughtfully. What was the article about? The wizard gamut? Dumbledore? The Dark Lord? Um, it was about Hermione, actually, Ginevra said. 
Skeeter says that she trusted the wrong source. Hermione wasn't actually dating everyone in school, and Skeeter felt compelled to correct this mistake due to her journalistic integrity. I slowly turns to face Hermione, who had returns to her book with a pleased smirk on her face. Hermione? What did you do? Who says I did anything? Hermione sniffed. Maybe Rita Skeeter just realized that she made a mistake. Even Ron snorted in response to that. Yeah, Ron, I'm with Harry. You did something. It's pretty obvious, Ginevra agreed. Giggling, Hermione glanced around nervously but nodded. All right. We probably shouldn't talk about this here, though. It's rather public. Behaving like a Slytherin, Marnie, Ron said. Don't care, Ronald, she said in a sing-song voice. She was positively giddy. I was beginning to feel legitimately concerned for Rita Skeeter. Hermione said, Shall we go, then? I shook my head. No need. Uh, Mafiata. The surrounding conversations turned to an insect-like buzzing. Hermione sat back down and asked, Ooh, is that an anti-eavesdropping charm? I've read about those. I'm well aware that you've read about everything, and yes, it is an anti-eavesdropping spell. The only people who can understand our conversation now are the three of us. My point was punctuated by a sudden and loud buzzing from across the table, as Geneva realized she was not included in the charm. Ron edged away from his rapidly reddening sister. "'Sigh, you do it?' Hermione said. "'I was out in the grounds, practicing an animagus detection charm. It seemed like a good idea after the attack from Sirius Black that Harry never told me about.' She glared at me before resuming. "'Imagine my surprise when it came back positive.' Apparently Rita Skeeter has been skulking around as a beetle, so I caught her in my hand. "'You squished her, didn't you?' I asked. Suddenly everything was very clear to me. The retraction, Skeeter's claims of journalistic integrity, Hermione's inexplicable good mood. She spotted— "'What? But Harry, she just published an article.' "'Polyjuice Potion. It would allow you to impersonate her for long enough to get the article through—' and it would also keep anyone from knowing she was missing, obscuring her time of death. Since she died in her animagus form, there isn't a corpse. It's the perfect crime. I would never— It's not like you haven't done something like this before, I said. Don't you remember second year? I shudder to think what would have happened if we hadn't stopped you. Hermione growled low in her throat. You were just horrible sometimes. I'm not the one who killed a reporter, I said. Uh, I don't think she killed anyone. Ron said. Right, Hermione? Obviously, she huffed. I'm just threatening to report that she's an illegal animagus. I also kept her in a bottle for a while. I frowned. For how long? A couple of days, Hermione said. Did you feed her? I asked. Hermione paled. It didn't really occur to me. You gave her walls, at least, I said. Um. I shook my head caught between admiration and shock. And now you're blackmailing her. I don't know why you didn't just kill her quickly. It would have been kinder. I have a great distaste for most forms of torture. My only exception to this is Crucio, which is much cleaner and does not have as many long-lasting side effects. Well, unless the victims are driven insane. I rarely keep prisoners long enough to reach that point, however, and opted to kill as often as possible. Furthermore, I sought to never leave a child orphaned for more than a few minutes. And people said I was immoral. Ron said, "'That doesn't seem fair. It's not like she meant to hurt her.' "'Intention is irrelevant, besides,' I said. "'Who knows when Skeeter will try to retaliate? She could be here right now, listening.' We fell into a wary, thoughtful silence. The only sound was the persistent buzzing of Ginevra Weasley.
I feel a sense of impending doom, I declared. Isn't that how you always feel? Ron asked. This is stronger than usual. I glanced around the area surrounding Dumbledore's enormous maze with a thoughtful air. Moody limped outside, glaring at anyone who dared to look at him for more than a moment. I turned my attention swiftly away. Ginevra hovered nearby. She had ingratiated herself with a couple of younger Hufflepuffs, but she was clearly paying more attention to Ron and I than her companions. Dumbledore, Karkaroff, and Madame Maxime were arguing about something at the judge's table. Hermione stood nearby, spoke a few words, and then fled their continued shouting. For a moment I wondered if she and Dumbledore were collaborating on an insidious plan, but no, it was ridiculous. Hermione would never share her power with Dumbledore. Delacour was chattering in animated French with her family. Crumb, though surrounded by his own family, seemed distracted. His eyes darted around uneasily, and his mouth was set in a firm line. Hermione, hurrying back from the judge's table, said, "'Maybe you wouldn't be so nervous if you'd actually prepared for the task.' I scoffed. "'I'm not nervous, Hermione. I'm suspicious.' "'Paranoid,' Ron muttered. I turned to Hermione. "'Right, speaking of Moody, I want you to watch him. I think he might try something today.' Hermione rolled her eyes. "'Harry, Moody isn't going to—' "'For Merlin's sake, Hermione, for once in your life try to save a friend instead of killing him,' I snapped. Her lips twisted in an ugly manner, but the girl begrudgingly turned her attention towards Moody. I cleared my throat and spoke to Ron. "'And you should watch Crumb. He seems suspicious.' "'Harry!' Hermione cried. "'I knew you wouldn't be objective about this. That's why I've entrusted the task to Ron.' Ron grinned, looking pleased with himself. Ginevra sidled a little closer to us. "'I can watch Fleur!' I waved her off. "'Do whatever you like.' While Ginevra busied herself with her useless idea, I would observe the most likely candidate, Dumbledore. I glared at him as he sat perfectly calm amid his fellow judges bickering, smug beneath his white beard and floral robes. Despicable. "'What were you doing over there, anyway?' Ron asked Hermione. "'Oh, um—' Hermione suddenly fell into a coughing fit, and I edged away from her. I had no intention of catching some sort of muggle disease. She cleared her throat and spoke primly. "'Sorry about that. I must have gotten a bit of a cold during the last task.' "'But it's been four months,' Ron said. Even without moving my gaze from Dumbledore, I could picture the wrinkling of his weasley face. Certain viruses are able to incubate for long periods, and my immune system was heavily compromised. I just went over to ask Dumbledore about the ancient runes curriculum. I was confused about the order in which certain runes are taught, but he explained it to me. That's nice, Hermione, I said absently. Dumbledore's skeletal hand gripped his wand, and he rose smoothly. Moody had migrated to his side, something I would have been aware of earlier if Hermione had been taking her sentry duties seriously. Dumbledore pointed his wand towards himself and I suppressed my disappointment when he only caught a sonorous charm. His voice echoed across the grounds, drawing everyone's attention. "'Much as it pains me to further delay this exciting event, we have decided upon a few rules for the task.' Curious whispering swept the crowd. Dumbledore peered down at a roll of parchment. First, there will be no intentionally damaging the maze through means including, but not limited to, flooding it, setting it on fire, tearing it apart with wind or explosive magic, dismantling the rooms that constructed it, or the use of fiendfire. Oh, come on, like anyone would seriously use fiendfire, one of the older Hogwarts students grumbled. Karkaroff glared darkly in my direction. It needed to be said. Nor can anyone remove the maze from school grounds. Not even temporarily? I asked. No, Mr. Potter, Dumbledore said with a merry twinkle of his eyes. 
Second, any deaths that occur, whether of humans or creatures, will be examined and may lead to the loss of the championship. Further, no one is permitted to sabotage their fellow champions prior to entering the maze. Oh, Flair looks mad, Ginevra said. Flair did indeed look mad. Her clenched jaw seemed to harden her cheekbones, and a red line flushed across her face. With a string of French curses, she slashed her wand downwards. My feeling of impending doom fell to its normal level. Crumb also seemed to relax. He waved happily at Hermione. Dumbledore said, Third, no champion may bring a magical artifact aside from their wand inside the maze. I shoved my invisibility cloak at Ron, scowling. Fourth, no one is allowed to summon the cup. Well, there went plan A. I suspect Dumbledore realized that as well. Why else would he be so sickeningly cheerful? Finally, no champion may enlist the aid of any other human or magical creature, such as a house elf. Oh, that was why. I whirled around to glare at Hermione. Oh, come on, that isn't even fair. Neither is using slave labor to cheat, she said. It wasn't cheating until he said it was. It was morally. Don't pretend to care about morals now. I ran a hand through my hair. What am I supposed to do? Dumbledore just got rid of all my good plans. Why don't you just go and do the maze the way it's supposed to be done? Ron said. Ron, that's ridiculous. I'm not some sort of grif- On second thought, that's genius. It is, Ron said, undermining his short burst of intelligence. I've been acting too much like a Slytherin lately, I said. Yes, it's ensured my success, but what sort of victory will it be when everyone decides I'm evil and refuses to hire me in a teaching position? No, I will win this like a Gryffindor. On fire for the third time in the past half hour, I reflected that acting like a Gryffindor was a terrible idea. I should have known this earlier, of course, because it was Ron's. I cast Aguamenti to put out the fire, but by impressive power made the jet of water significantly larger than I had intended. Wet and miserable, I trudged through the maze. It was at that point that I saw the Sphinx. I groaned. Great. More riddles. I was beginning to wonder if the tournament was designed by a Ravenclaw. The Sphinx turned her almond-shaped eyes to me, looking far too pleased with herself, considering she was almost certainly going to die at my hand. She said, You are very near your goal. The quickest way is past me. I pointed my wand at the creature. If you value your life, I would suggest you move. The Sphinx chuckled gruffly. If you value yours, I would suggest you not attack me. Solve my riddle and— Wait a second, I said. What if I tell you a riddle? And if you can't solve it, you let me pass. The Sphinx cocked her head curiously. I accept your challenge, though I warn you, there is no such riddle that I cannot solve— and when I solve it, you shall have to find another path. It's a good thing you won't, then. I can't afford to waste time. This was primarily because the judges refused to let me enter the maze first, even though I clearly won every task. Your riddle? I nodded, taking a few moments to fix it in my head. Smirking, I began. Born in a garden, I live in a house. Sleeping with lions, I'm more of a mouse. When death comes to collect me, a hungry grim is all I see. The Sphinx was thoughtful for a few minutes, finally saying, The answer is man. Wrong, I said. The answer was Ron's dead rat, or alternatively, whatever I decided it was, because I'm not going to play fair when my victory is at stake. The Sphinx's mouth fell open, reminding me of Hermione. 
But that's impossible. The answer is clearly man. No, it isn't. Then what is the answer? I sighed heavily. Look, if I had gotten it wrong, would you have told me the answer? No, because that would only disrespect my intelligence. The Sphinx attacked me then. This is exactly the reason everyone dislikes magical creatures. They go back on their deals and are just generally unreasonable. I followed Delacour's screams. This wasn't out of any foolish Gryffindor chivalry. It was simply the intelligent thing to do. The maze had been suspiciously easy. I'm sure it was filled with all sorts of monsters and traps, but this was designed by Dumbledore. Where were the deadly creatures? The answer was obvious. They were surrounding the cup. Edgar, whatever was killing Delacour, was almost certainly at the centre of the maze. Also, she was currently beating me, which was absolutely not okay. I was fortunate. Delacour was only a few turns away, and a hasty point-me spell guided me to her. When I arrived, however, I paused in surprise. The girl was not being ravaged by a dragon or clubbed by a mountain troll. She was suffering under the Cruciatus, and the one casting it was none other than Victor Crumb. Delacour let out a final shriek and fell unconscious, unable to take the pain any longer. Rage filled my chest, and my hands shook as they clenched my wand. How dare he! I spat. Hermione taught you this, didn't she? How dare he take advantage of Hermione's insidious genius? Only I'm allowed to do that. Crumb turned towards me, his eyes devoid of emotion. It seemed that I had been right all along. Crumb appeared to be a likable, perfectly ordinary student, like me, but he was nothing more than a cold, calculating schemer. More importantly, he was a cold, calculating schemer who was trying to steal my victory and Hogwarts's secrets, and that was simply unacceptable. I quirked an eyebrow. No answer? Coward. Have you not— Stupefy! Crumb fell to the ground, body frozen. He'd never even lifted his wand. Well, that was depressingly easy, I muttered already wandering off to find the cup. After a few more skirmishes with the wildlife, I found it. The triwizard cup gleamed at the centre of the maze. I took a moment to straighten my robes and smooth down my hair so that I would look properly impressive when I emerged victoriously outside of Hogwarts. After a moment's thought, I rumpled my clothes and tousled my hair again. That way I would look more heroic. Grinning, I grabbed my trophy and felt the familiar tug of a portkey at my navel. As the world began to twist and stretch me like taffy, I was struck by a sudden thought. Was the triwizard cup supposed to do that? I fell, retching on the grass, dropping the cup as I tried to recover from the clearly shoddy portkey. A quick survey of my surroundings revealed that I was nowhere near Hogwarts. That was a problem, since I would be unable to properly bask in my victory. Additionally, there was a Death Eater standing beside a gaping cauldron and pointing his wand at me. That was also a problem. I rolled to avoid a hex, jumping to my feet and aiming my wand at my opponent. I smirked as I realized which of my followers was currently failing to kill me. I would know that hair anywhere. Lucius, who are you working for? Lucius immediately confirmed my suspicions because he is an idiot. What makes you think I'm working for anyone, Potter? I snorted. As if you could pull something like this off on your own. I could absolutely— A rasping voice suddenly interrupted him. Don't argue with the boy, Lucius. When you lose, that will reflect poorly on me. I scowled. Who just said that? A guttural chuckle came from behind my former minion, and the voice said, Turn around. I'd like to do this face to face.
Lucius turned around, awkwardly holding his arm so that his wand still faced me. With his free hand he parted his luxurious blond hair. I always knew he was hiding something in there, but I never could have imagined the truth. A second face, wrinkly and purpled, looked out from the back of his head. It said, Harry Potter, kidnapped and held at wand point, after what should have been your greatest triumph. This would be so much more poetic if you were in your third year. I asked, What do you know about third year? And just who are you, anyway? The face's mouth curled into a thin, sickly smile. I am Lord Voldemort. What? That's impossible, I said, because it was completely impossible, unless another Horcrux had gone rogue. Did you truly think I was dead? he asked. Did you think you'd actually killed me? I... I paused, deciding that information gathering was the best tactic for the moment. Yes, and I'm not sure I believe you. If you haven't been dead, then where have you been all these years? The face scowled. Ah, yes, it's a fascinating tale. You see, after the destruction of my body, I was sent hurtling towards the forests of Albania, screaming the entire way. Three hours of screaming. Really? You'd think you would stop after the first hour when it started to become normal? He rudely ignored me. I wandered Albania as a wraith until a bumbling professor stumbled upon me. I possessed him and snuck into Hogwarts, right under the old fool's nose, hoping to steal the Philosopher's Stone. With it, I planned to regain my body. Unfortunately, my host died before I could acquire it because you murdered him. I nearly dropped my wand in shock. Quirrell? You were possessing Quirrell? Yes, he said. But Quirrell was a horrible defense against the Dark Arts teacher. Why didn't you help him? Why would I train Dumbledore's future soldiers? If he wants me to do that, he'll have to hire me, like all the other professors. After Quirrell's death, I wandered the Forbidden Forest, again without a clear plan. Yet one day, I saw something that inspired me to take action. Was it a unicorn? I asked. No, it was a grim. It raced through the forest as if in fear of its life. Suddenly, I remembered that I didn't become immortal so that I could spend an eternity as a wraith. I became immortal because... Actually, I don't recall why. I do. It was the only way I could survive Hogwarts long enough to graduate. Then I found out that seven was a magical number, and by the time I got over my arithmancy phase, I'd already made four, and it seemed stupid to stop there. He continued, Regardless, I realized that it was pointless to wait for followers who would never come. I would simply have to find one so spineless that I could intimidate him while I had neither a body nor any magical power. So you went to Balfour, I murmured, nodding. It was all beginning to make sense. He snorted. I presume you've dealt with him before? The younger one, mostly, I said. Yes, the clone. He was very helpful in keeping me in touch with my spy at Hogwarts, in order to arrange our meeting here today. Curse Severus and his unwavering loyalty. I glared. 
So it was you, then, who's been sabotaging me all this time. I should have known that judges would never be so biased without some malicious external influence. The face was silent for a moment, likely marvelling at my astounding intelligence before saying, Yes, of course I did. All, all part of my plan. I am the Dark Lord, after all, and it's far past time that I returns to my former glory. Lucius, begin the ritual. A curtain of blonde hair once again hid the hideous face as Lucius bent down to grab a skull, tossing it into the cauldron. Bone of the father, unknowingly given, you will renew your son. Flesh of the servant, willingly given, you will revive your master. Lucius placed his wand atop his wrist, murmuring a severing spell. With an unsettling crack, the man's hand fell off and into the cauldron. He turned towards me and said, Blood of the enemy, forcibly taken, you will resurrect your foe. Since when are we enemies? I exclaimed, wand still aimed at Lucius. We've always been enemies, was the muffled response from beneath Lucius's hair. I just met you today, I said. You killed me when you were a child. Oh, yes, but you can hardly blame me for what I did when I was still an infant. I manage well enough, he said. Well, I don't blame myself, or you, but just bad luck, really. I wasn't entirely sure what had happened that Halloween night, but I was completely certain it wasn't my fault. Lucius, turn around and move your bloody hair! The face snapped. Lucius did so, though he had to drop his wand to manage, since his left hand was currently floating in a cauldron. I presume he didn't want to get blood in his hair. Again visible, the face continued, You killed my host! That was an accident, I said. His voice rose incredulously. You used the killing curse! The killing part wasn't an accident, but I didn't know he was your host at the time, so it wasn't like I was deliberately defying you. That reminded me, I'd never gotten around to rewriting that list. Well, I consider us enemies, he declared as Lucius again let go of his hair. You don't have any say in the matter. If you try to argue, I'll kill you. I rolled my eyes. Well, fine, if you want to be stubborn about it, then I suppose we'll— Ow! Galloping gargoyles! What was that? A trail of blood floated from the wound in my shoulder where Lucius had just cut me. It landed in the cauldron with a sizzling sound. Lucius fell to his knees, leaning backwards so that his blonde locks were completely submerged in the potion. He screamed as the air around it filled with bright, sparkling light, reminiscent of some of Dumbledore's gaudier robes. Suddenly, plumes of white smoke floated outwards, and Lucius slumped to the side, groaning. His missing hand was still bleeding, and, looking closer, I noticed that I could see some bone jutting out at the tip. Worse yet, his hair was soaked and clumpy, bits of bone and flesh weaved into it by the potion, completely ruined. I considered pitying him, but then thought better of it. Amid the appropriately dramatic smoke, a figure rose. He looked intimidating and quite pure-blood, tall and aristocratic. Further, he appeared hypnotically inhuman and serpentine, with no nose and red eyes. He looked like me. There was no doubt now. Lord Voldemort had returned, even though he—I was already here. I would have to think on this later. "'I suppose you truly are the Dark Lord?' "'Of course,' he said. "'So your plan is—' "'Kill Dumbledore, take over Britain.' Figure out the rest later, he said easily. Would you like to join me? I thought you just said we were enemies, I said. He shrugged. Yes, well, that was just for the ritual. 
Granted, I'd have done the same, I admitted. But are you certain that deciding we aren't enemies won't nullify the ritual? It might cause your body to fall apart, which seems like a waste after all the work Lucius has done. I don't think that would happen, Voldemort said slowly. Are you sure? Did you actually research this? Or did you find a summary in a book and decide it sounded like a good idea? Voldemort didn't respond. I sighed. It was as if I, I mean he, never learns. He watched me keenly, remarking, You know, I've realized something about you. You're exactly as I was at your age, cunning, curious, distant from your peers, capable of spells far beyond your classmates, exactly the same. I should have known it would catch on. He's me, after all, and I'm not an idiot Gryffindor, head in the clouds Ravenclaw, or average Hufflepuff. No, I'm far smarter than that. I know your secret, Potter, he smirked. You are like me. You're a genius. Finally, someone notices, I exclaimed. Honestly, I get O's in every subject without even trying, except for potions. Well, that's because Snape is blatantly a Death Eater. Ah, yes, Severus, my most loyal servant, he murmured. On that topic, I suppose it's time that my wayward followers know of my return. He bent down, pulling something from Lucius's robe pocket. It was my old yew wand, which I'd had such fun with. I cast my first Avada with that wand, you know. I grinned at the memories. My other self seemed similarly pleased as he pressed the wand against Lucius's dark mark, jostling his injury at the same time. A whispered spell sent another pained shudder through the blonde. Voldemort stood, head tilted arrogantly, and eyes cold. "'So how long do you think they'll be?' I asked. Voldemort shrugged. Ten minutes? They've never been particularly punctual. And I just don't think they fear me as much as they will in about fifteen minutes. I nodded, wandering over to Lucius, who had managed to pull himself into a sitting position. He stared blankly at his stump. His voice shook. My hand, my lord? Voldemort blinked. All right. With a negligent wave of our wand, Voldemort conjured a silver hand for the injured man. Another wave chopped off his hair, leaving him completely bald and vanishing his greatest accomplishment. Never let it be said that I am not a generous master, Voldemort declared pompously. I am mindedly healed my own wound. It was about that time that the Death Eaters apparated in, sometimes coming in pairs. Each received a cold welcome. The last to come was over three minutes later than all the others. He arrived panting. You're late, Voldemort said. His eyes narrowed. A Dumbledore was being difficult, a familiar voice drawled. Apparently the Potter boy has gone missing again. Voldemort smiled in a manner that would have been more reassuring if he'd had lips. Ah, Severus, I didn't recognize you with your mask on. He turned toward the rest of the group. It seems that my devoted subjects have all arrived. I cannot help wondering why none of you thought to search for your master during his long absence. Instead, you turned your backs upon me and spurned all that I taught you. Only Severus remained loyal. Voldemort continued on for some time, ranting, crucioing, begrudgingly granting forgiveness, the usual. What's the Potter boy doing here, then? One of them finally asked. He received a bout of the Cruciatus just for the principle of the thing before Voldemort explained. We were just about to duel to the death, 
I blinked. Why don't you just try and recruit me? Yes, but you said no. So now I'm going to kill you. Dear Merlin Potter, keep up. I'm not fighting you, I said. I didn't particularly want to kill myself, and he was probably protected by the Horcruxes anyway, so I couldn't even kill him properly. Besides, I just put in so much effort to resurrect him, I bled. Voldemort scowled, and a flick of his hand sent the Death Eaters hurrying to circle us and block my escape. You don't get a choice in this. Fine, I grunted. I would play along for the moment. We bowed, raised our wands, and began. Avada The following fight can best be described as very green. Avada flew wildly through the air. His were weaker than mine, as he was still cheerful after gaining a new body, while I was carrying a grunge over his sabotaging my time in the tournament. We effortlessly dodged each other's spells, but they found targets easily enough. One by one, Death Eaters fell. A few realized what was going on. Lucius, for instance, was using Crab as a human shield, yet the numbers kept thinning. Voldemort's spells took out more of his people than mine did, which was surprising because I was actually aiming. Eventually I maneuvered myself close to a wide gap in the ring of my former and apparently current followers. With one last Avada in Voldemort's direction, I sprinted away, headed towards the graveyard's gates. However, I took a small detour to grab the cup because it was mine. As I snatched its handle, something tugged at my navel and the world began to spin, eventually solidifying into the former grounds of Hogwarts. Greeted by the surprised faces of my teachers and classmates, I knew immediately that I had to tell them. After all, I knew something incredibly important, something that mattered. I could not allow them to wallow in ignorance for a moment longer. I held my trophy aloft and shouted, I DECLARE VICTORY! But if you didn't manufacture the whole thing, then why was Snape there? I asked. Dumbledore frowned, studying the whirring gadgets on his desk for a moment before coming to a decision. Professor Snape has been a loyal spy for the light over a great many years, Harry. That was quite possibly the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. Still, I suppose even Dumbledore can occasionally overlook the obvious. Or perhaps he was simply trying to convince me of Severus's loyalty, playing the long game as always. He gave me a stern look. I hope you're wise enough not to endanger him by telling anyone. No, it would believe me anyway, I said. And frankly, I don't believe you. What are the chances that I was just coincidentally kidnapped before my victory was properly recognized? It was obviously part of the tournament. In retrospect, Dumbledore's involvement explained everything. Why the cup was a portkey, Severus's presence, the supposed Lord Voldemort's lapses into idiocy and his very existence. Dumbledore leaned forward inquisitively. Harry, what could I possibly gain from faking the return of Voldemort? The man was obviously toying with me. Fine, I would play his game. You could further your fame and power by giving the people of Britain a great enemy against which they can only unite under one leader, yourself. Further, you can finally regain the respect you lost when you failed to kill him the first time. I have plenty of power already, Dumbledore said. I scowled. Which just makes it all the more despicable. He paused before speaking rather slowly. I assure you, I have no interest in furthering my political power. Even if that weren't the case, I dare say this would not be the best plan. Why reveal him in such a roundabout manner? It would be better to revive him in front of a large audience, not a lone boy. He made a reasonable point. There's still the possibility of Mr. Potter. I've already, at your insistence, checked you for hallucinogens and confounding spells. Whatever you saw, I've no doubt it was real. Yet it was that possibility which I was so desperate to dismiss. 
After all, if Voldemort was cavorting about the English countryside, with whatever followers had survived our duel, then who was I? Worse yet, he seems to have added me to the list of those who have wronged him, and I have never been a merciful man. This might be a problem, I concluded. Dumbledore chuckled. I find that very likely. For the first time in her life, Hermione Granger did not wish to go to the library. She trailed behind Ron and me, glancing back towards the great hall. Her hair was even more frazzled than usual as she anxiously tugged at it. The service starts in ten minutes. If we hurry, we can still make it in time. I'm not going to the stupid Slytherin memorial service, I said. She scowled. It's not stupid, and you really should go and pay your respects. You assume that I respect any of the Slytherin's parents. Come to think of it, I'm pretty sure I've never met most of them, or any of them. It's so difficult to keep track of these things. Well, yes, but— Hermione's voice dropped to a whisper. It is your fault, after all, so you really ought to at least try to be graceful about it. Ron wrinkled his nose, asking, What do you mean? Didn't they all die of dragonpox? She rolled her eyes. Yes, and the epidemic just happens to have only affected pure-blood Slytherins. Well, to be fair, they don't talk to anyone else, I said. And dragonpox is very rarely deadly. Besides, we both heard your story. You really think it's a coincidence that several Death Eaters were killed by Voldemort, and a myriad of Slytherins die the same day? She made a good point, but admitting that would mean losing the argument, so I immediately discarded the notion. Are you implying that all Slytherins are Death Eaters? I expect this sort of bigotry from Ron, but I thought you were better than that. I shook my head with exaggerated sadness. She huffed. Even if it wasn't your fault, you still shouldn't be so rude. Nearly everyone's going, and so should we. No one's stopping you. It's not like we need to be together all the time, although we usually were anyway. I— Hermione paused for a moment, realizing that I hadn't been insulting her all this time. Well, fine then. Come on, Ron. But I don't want to go see all the dead Slytherins, Ron whined. She grabbed his arm, dragging him along. Ron didn't stand a chance against Hermione in a fight. She's far too ruthless. But he could have at least tried. It would have been funny. I continued towards the library and the knowledge held within its looming stacks. It was time to do what I should have done fifty years ago, or any time afterwards. Research Horcruxes. Fortunately, Madame Pince was one of Gilderoy Lockhart's many admirers. Though my past to the restricted section was nearly two years old, my passionate insistence that this was quite likely Lockhart's final wish, outside of not being eaten by an acromagula, spurred her to allow me access. As an additional bribe, I gave her a signed copy of Sporting with Spiders. I did not browse the stacks for long before finding the book in which I had originally found out about Horcruxes, Secrets of the Darkest Arts. I'd only ever seen it once, reading several chapters before reaching the Egyptian section— I'd just been reading about Horcruxes and automatically memorized the ritual when the librarian started grumbling about curfew. Unwilling to arouse suspicion, I left the term in the library. The next day, I asked some of the professors a few innocuous questions. Before I could return to the book, my access to the restricted section had been revoked because I was meddling in dark magic or something stupid like that. That's how I knew that I was on the right track. Now that I had finally rediscovered the book, what I found was quite peculiar. After the usual warning about insanity, a clear ploy to ward off cowards, there were a few stories of Horcrux users. First, there was my boyhood hero Herper the Fowl, hatter of basilisks and spellweavers, whose Horcrux was eviscerated when some plucky adventurer tricked his favorite basilisk into biting it. Grimhilda the Widow's Horcrux, her husband's skull, 
was destroyed during a freak fiend fire accident. Now it's entirely sure what happens to Ignis the handsome's Horcrux, but no one's seen him lately, so it was presumably destroyed. The last story, however, was the most intriguing, that of a living Horcrux. Ajibide the Black, a distant cousin to the royal family, aspired to be pharaoh. Recognizing the dangers of such a quest, however, he did what all reasonable wizards do and created a Horcrux. But Ajibide was clever. He wanted a Horcrux that could defend itself, one with an innate will to survive and a hatred of all living things. He chose his cat. Unfortunately for Ajibide the Black, the cat came to believe that he, too, was Ajibide. In the dark of night, the wizard was murdered by that which should have ensured his survival and reduced to an angry spirit. Shortly afterwards, Jibbide the Cat was assassinated by his political enemies. I closed the book, careful to avoid its teeth. This was unexpected, as it opened all sorts of possibilities in my mind. It was true that I had been planning to make a Horcrux that night, and I had committed more than enough murders to fracture my soul. Was it possible that, with my body destroyed by something that was undoubtedly the potter's fault, my damaged soul had flown in different directions? One part had gone off to be pathetic in Albania, while the better part had settled inside young Harry Potter. Essentially, I was the vengeful cat. Thankfully, I was also the political enemy. Well, along with Dumbledore, the Weasleys, most of the Ministry of Magic. "'Quite a book you've got there, Potter,' Moody said. "'Right, yes, him too.' I chuckled nervously. "'It fell off the shelf, but I'm afraid to touch it because it's very dark.' Moody smiled in a deeply disturbing manner, as he always does. "'That's a pity. For a moment there, you almost had my respect.' I stood from my chair. "'What? Petrificus Totalus!' I ducked under the table, scrambling on my hands and knees away from my deranged professor. "'Not bad, Potter. Practicing constant vigilance, are you? Won't help much.' Dumbledore sent you, didn't he?' I spat. It all made sense. With the return of Lord Voldemort, Dumbledore had realized the same thing I had. I was Voldemort's horcrux. He had arrogantly believed that he could control young Harry Potter, but both of us? No, we were too dangerous. So he decided to kill me, then take out my lesser self. Moody threw a spell at the table I'd hidden under, collapsing it. Wrong side, kid. I rolled to my feet and cast a protego. Ha! Like Mad-Eye Moody would ever be a Death Eater. Stop protecting your master. Moody laughed, mismatched eyes never leaving my face. Then, with the dramatic timing that just doesn't exist in the Muggle world, his skin began to ripple, his peg-leg clattered to the floor, and he pocketed the fake eye. With the face of a different man, he smirked. My eyes widened. Of course. I knew it all along. The whole time you were actually— Wait, who are you? Barty Crouch, Jr. At my blank look, he added, A Death Eater. Right, that makes sense. In fact, everything makes sense now. You were the one who was sabotaging me in the tournament all along. He frowned. Actually— Voldemort already admitted it. I guess I wasn't in on the plan, the Death Eater muttered. I snorted. Like Voldemort would share any of his plans with a mere pawn. The man who had recently stopped being moody growled, throwing a spell that dispersed against my shield. I'm not a pawn. I'm one of his best Death Eaters. No matter what he says about Snape or Sirius— he stopped shouting then, because he was too busy being on fire. I wandered towards his twitching, flaming body and stole his wand. This wouldn't have happened if you'd practiced constant vigilance. I returned Secrets of the Darkest Arts to its shelf and wandered back to the main library. Madame Pince was slumped across a desk, 
Apparently she was as practised at sleeping through Death Eater attacks as I was. I nonchalantly headed towards the entrance. It was about that time that Dumbledore and Severus showed up, because of course it was. I put on my best innocent expression. "'Oh, professors, I'm so glad you're here. Moody's a Death Eater and tried to kill me, but thankfully I killed him first. With love.' Gazing out of the train's window, I smirked. This year it turned out all right after all. I won the Triwizard Tournament, I won against Voldemort, I won the House Cup, and I won your friendship, Ginevra said. I glanced away from the window, now frowning at the seat where Ginevra and Luna Lovegood sat. The redhead smiled apologetically, murmuring, You were thinking out loud again. My frown lessened. Any progress on discovering your family's dark magic? Well, not much so far. I've been at school, so there haven't been many chances. That's never stopped Hermione. Hermione doesn't do dark magic, Ron said weakly. Right, Marnie? The aforementioned girl didn't respond, too caught up with her latest information-gathering mission. I cast an overpowered Lumos to draw her attention. The underage restrictions didn't take effect until we left the train. So which Dark Lord are you studying now? Hermione said flatly, You. What? She'd finally figured it out. I should have known she would. Why had I not better prepared for this day? She means Lord Voldemort, Luna said. What? Two of them. Could I obliviate them both subtly enough to avoid suspicion? No, no, I was terrible at obliviations. That was why I usually just murdered witnesses. It was easier. Luna pursed her lips. That is what the cover says, unless the Raxperts are playing tricks again. The blonde riffled around in her bag, drawing out a pair of winged glasses. No, Luna, no unidentified and possibly non-existent creatures are muddying your senses. I'm reading about Lord Voldemort. I spoke. But you said I was teasing, Harry. Although you're in here, too, and I am reading about you. Why? I said, still feeling justifiably suspicious. She sighed. You've told us that Voldemort is alive, so I'm studying the way he died the first time. Hopefully we can make it happen again. Ginevra asked. But shouldn't the adults be handling this? I used to think so, too, but we always end up doing these things anyway. I think we're better off being proactive. Ginevra's brow twisted, puzzled. Don't you think that teachers and other adults are always right? Hermione said, Well, I did back in first year, but then I was attacked by a mountain troll. It's all been a bit shaky from there. Ginevra paled, wailing, Oh, I got my interpretation of you all wrong. Luna rested a comforting hand on her shoulder, though her bespectacled gaze never left a spot slightly above Hermione's head. So have you figured out how to beat him, then? Voldemort, I mean, Ron asked. Hermione shook her head. It's not that simple. I've noticed something odd, though, about the night that he was vanquished. By me, I added. Yes, well, it certainly wasn't the Raxperts, she snapped. Luna said, You don't know that for sure. You're just assuming. She does that a lot, I said. Ginevra sniffled. At least I got that part right. Hermione said, As I was saying, why would Voldemort go alone to attack the Potters? Usually he would send his followers to do that sort of thing, while he only went on raids in public places, like Diagon Alley. He's crazy. Why did he do anything? Ron said. Yes, of course, it was crazy, but he's a very specific sort of crazy. This doesn't fit. He likes to grandstand, to look impressive. He never seems to hurt people without an audience. So why didn't he just send Bellatrix the Strange or Lucius Malfoy? The Malfoys are idiots, I said. Lucius would have just mucked it up. She set down her book, and too agitated to keep her hands still. Mucked up what? What was the plan? Why the Potters? The prophecy, I muttered. What was that? I said— there was a prophecy about the Potter child, me, and Lord Voldemort. 
How'd you find out about that? Ginevra asked. Snape told me. Technically, that was true. What did it say? Ron asked. I don't know, I said, for quite possibly the first time in my life. Why didn't you tell us this before? Hermione asked. Because I don't know what it says. Honestly, I expect this sort of thing from Ron, not you. Hermione huffed. Well, why don't you find out, then? It's right there in the Department of Mysteries. Of course Hermione would know that. No surprise, considering her previous occupation. Oh, well, I suppose we'll be taking a trip to the Ministry. I stood to leave. Have a good summer, and I'll call upon you when the time is right. Harry? Ginevra said. What is it now? I snapped. You do realize that we're not at the station yet, right? I am perfectly aware of that at this moment, yes. Luna turned her head towards me, squinting behind the colorful glass. It's probably the Raxperts. Does anyone have a butterfly net? End of chapter 5 For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the fanfiction.net and archive of our own pages of Emerald Ashes. First pass editing by Ohana. The music is Playground by Rusha Sounds. That's R-U-E-S-C-H-E dash sounds. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.